Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Matthew 13, says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in the field. Who is the field? That's you. There's a treasure inside you, hidden in a secret place, which when a man found, he covered it up, and in his joy he went and sold everything he had, and he got that field. I want to you to know today that there is a secret hidden place within you that's worth you expending all your energy, all your resources to discover. Listen carefully, because if you can discover how the kingdom of God operates within you, it will set you up for the most victorious, successful life that you could ever imagine. It's worth trading everything in the world to get this treasure, because once you find it, it will produce 30, 60, 100, even Deuteronomy 111, a thousand fold. Are you hearing me? Yeah. And most of the church haven't discovered how to access this kingdom. Again, it says in Matthew 13, 33, Jesus told them another parable saying the kingdom of God. Where is the kingdom of God, by the way? It's within you. He said the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid or mixed in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. What's Jesus saying? There is a revelation that you can get from God. There is revelation teaching that he wants to impart to you today that if you would mix and bring it within you, it's going to affect the three measures, spirit, soul, and body. What God is wanting to do today is to bring alignment to your world. He's aligning the body of Christ. You see, here's the deal. There is a reason that Jesus hasn't come back. He's not up playing tennis in heaven. He's not, he's not distracted. But the Father won't call for the body of Christ until the body of Christ measures up to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Until we are aligned in such a way that the Father says, now I have found a bride equal in measure to my son. Now the bride is ready to walk down the aisle. It's not a misfit. It's not unequally yoked. So he is, this is exciting because you are that last generation. You are, see, God has been waiting for a generation just like you who would get just what you're getting, who begin to step into what God has designed for the body of Christ. It's exciting that God would pick and save the best to last. Isn't that the way of the kingdom? That he always reserves the best to last. And that's you. So I want to know. I'm on a quest. This is the way I'm wired. I want to know what I need to do to align myself and get myself ready. I want to know what God wants for this church to get us ready for, for his outpouring. Because as you read the scripture, it is so clear that things aren't getting worse and worse in the kingdom. They get better and better. The way of the kingdom continues to increase. His kingdom will be an ever-increasing kingdom. It's right through Scripture. So I want to know, how do I align myself? How do I step into the fullness of God? What do I need to know about myself and about God to position myself for greatness? Don't you want to know that? So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the Bible, there are 50 chapters Set aside for the tabernacle. Two chapters, I think it is, for the creation of the world. But 50 chapters set aside for your creation. 50 is the number of jubilee. jubilee your freedom. Your portion. So in that 50 chapters, God reveals to you the way he designed you and how to come into alignment. And if you would get a revelation of this, if the church gets a revelation of this, Jesus is coming back soon. And uh, before he comes, the church will be the glorious bride. It will be glorious. It will be aligned. It will come into wholeness and healing. And it will step into a place 
I don't want to get too far ahead, but it will step into a place that will amaze you. What God's about to do, what he's doing right now, he is positioning his people for the greatest influence that the body has ever had. I know it. I know it. So he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's a picture of the tabernacle, the outer court, the holy place, the holy of holies, the way, the truth, and the life. And you can put that picture of the tabernacle up on the screen. And you will notice when we've said that in every stage, and I'm not going to go over everything, but in every stage there is a progressive increase of revelation light. In the outer court there is natural light. So people get born again. And often Christians are operating out of natural wisdom, natural knowledge. They're trying to get ahead using their own intellect, what seems right, following the paper, following the news, watching polls. They always get it wrong. And they're going this way, but they're not listening to the voice of God. They're operating out of natural knowledge. But as we go out of the outer court, Jesus is the way, but he's also the truth. And in the holy place... There is a shift of light. It's no longer, longer natural, but it's coming from the lampstand. And then as we go from the holy place into the holy of holies, there is the light that comes from the glory of God. There's a shift in revelation. And the Bible says that, that we're on a pilgrimage, we're on a highway into Zion. And that tells us that God is leading his church into deeper and deeper revelation of ourselves, of him and what he's doing on the earth. God wants to communicate to you, my friend. Are you hearing me? He wants to release revelation into your world like you've never had before. You're about to discover more about who you are, more about who God is, more about his plan for this world than you've ever imagined. That should excite your socks. That should rock your world. Out through the, into the, the gates, the outer court, you can see that picture. There's the gates as they walk in, the curtains, they unfold. And they walk in, there's a, a progression they go through. And you can see uh, the next slide, you've got the bronze altar where it's a picture of Jesus' death. And we experience salvation. Jesus is the way. There is only one way to God, not through Buddha or Muhammad, not through good works, but it's only through Jesus. It's his sacrifice. And we're confronted with this before we progress. If today you've never given your life to Jesus, the first step to transformation is to be born again. And you need to say, Jesus, I accept your sacrifice. Come into my life. So we go past the bronze altar. And then we see the bronze laver, which is the next slide. And this is a place of examination. So Jesus is the way to God. Now we're coming towards the holy place where we're going to have a revelation of the truth that sets us free. We know that Jesus is the way, but now he's about to bring revelation truth to your life. And that's where most Christians stop. They accept Jesus into their life. They're born again. They know they're going to heaven. They know God loves them. But they never or, or very, or they have a, a limited revelation of the truth that sets them free. You shall know the truth. It's the truth that sets you free. So they're in bondage, in bondage to a wrong identity about themselves, in bondage about a wrong identity towards God. And so as we approach this holy place, we're confronted by this bronze laver where we begin to wash ourselves and we see in this bronze laver a reflection of ourselves, but it's a dim reflection. We can't see ourselves as we truly are. So God is beginning to speak and say, I know things about you that you don't know, and I want to change you. I want to bring truth to your life. I want to set you free. I know thoughts about you that are so much greater than you know. Yeah. And so as we walk towards this holy place, remember I said there are five posts. In the next slide, you'll see them. And they're made of wood, and they're covered in gold. And on the top of the post, it's golden because it's a picture of our righteousness, our our acceptance by God, that, we're, that he's drawing us into this place of truth. And there's going to be no condemnation when he speaks to you because the words of Jesus bring life. They don't limit you. They don't put you down. When he speaks about your identity, you're going to feel better than when you, before you came in. He's always going to lift you up. But at the base of it, it's bronze. And bronze is a picture of judgment. And it's not judgment, God saying, you're a bad boy. But it's judging false from truth, yeah. lies from truth. 
And so we begin to understand as we walk into this place, there's some stuff I'm going to have to let go in my life. There's some baggage, some wrong thinking, wrong feeling, wrong choosing that I'm going to have to surrender as I walk into this place of transformation. The Holy of Holies is a place of the transformation of your personality. As you go into the tabernacle, you'll notice that the gate is wide and not as high. It's 20 cubics by five. As you walk into the holy place, the gate is 10 cubics wide by 10 cubics high. The same dimensions or the same surface area, but different dimensions. The same Jesus in the outer court as it is in the Holy of Holies. But what is different about the gate in the Holy of Holies is it's 10 cubics high, not five. What does that mean? We're about to discover a higher dimension of the work of Jesus in our life. Every time we step in, it's a greater dimension. And that's why we are those that are on that highway that are walking towards Jerusalem. We want more. I'm not satisfied with your salvation. I want transformation, don't you? I want God to so get inside my head and change the way I think and feel and choose. And this world wants that as well. So in the holy place, sorry, the holy of holies, it's where we get this revelation about the truth of ourselves and about God. And I want you to know today that your authentic self is so important to God. If it wasn't so important, you would know about it. See, Psalm 139 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is nothing by chance of your life. When God packaged you in your mother's womb, all your days were numbered. He knows you're rising up and you're setting down. He knows everything. And God is meticulous in his planning of your life. When you look at creation, you discover this, that God leaves nothing to chance. You see that in the animal kingdom. But I want you to know about yourself, nothing about you is by chance. And God has designed you to be great in his kingdom. You are unique. And this is the thing. You need to start to get comfortable with the way that God made you. Everything about you, the way you look, the way he shaped you. Because I've said to you before that I believe that we will take much of our unique personality and our physical appearance into heaven. (laughs) I can prove that. Easy. You see, Jesus, when he returns from heaven and he sits at the fire cooking fish, they recognized it was Jesus. Why? Because he had a sign above his head saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. They looked at his face and said, that's Jesus. He had a new body, a spiritual body, but essentially he was recognizable. Why would God go to all this effort to make you the way you are and say, Right, that's finished. Let's start again in heaven. God doesn't work like that. You may have a problem with how you look, but God doesn't. You may have a problem with your unique personality, but God loves it. So it's time to fall in love with yourself all over again. Because if you can't love you, who can? When you really discover and come into alignment and begin to thank God. This is not self-worship, but this is gratitude and thankfulness for the gift that God made you to be. And when you discover who you are, peace and joy and love begins to settle and you become a gift to the world and not a hindrance. You're either a problem to the world or a gift to the world. And when you come into harmony with yourself and begin to see yourself as God made it, everything begins to change. Confidence begins to arise. I said to you a few weeks ago, what God doesn't know doesn't exist. So if you are carrying something about yourself that's not in God's image, it doesn't exist in God's mind. You're the creator, not God. So the Bible says that when the fire comes, when you go to heaven, everything that's not of God will be burnt up. So I say, let's make the fire small. (laughs) Let God do the job now. Fire on the earth. Judge, Lord, everything that doesn't belong. I want to make God's job as easy as possible. So my thing is that like Enoch, he took one step and he was in heaven. I want to be like that. I want to be, there's so little to change. 
See, I think that's why the rapture will come. God will say, there's not much drag now. So the anointing of God on your life comes and sits on your true self. The more you get into an awareness of who you are, the easier it is to carry your anointing. Because the anointing of God doesn't sit on anything that's false. It sits on that which is true. You know that. You talk to people and you can feel straight away whether there is truth flowing from their life or a facade. You can see that, can't you? If you've been like that, you go, I don't know what it is, but I walk away from that conversation and it just feels like nothing's real. It looks good, but it's a show. And other people to meet, it's just like, that person's in the zone. They may not be loud, but there's something authentic about their life. They've begun to discover the truth about who they are. So as we go into the holy place, there are three items. There are the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. But remember I said the, the amazing thing is that when you walk into the holy place, that there's a dirt floor and a heavenly roof. The roof is a linen curtain, but in the curtain there's embroidered cherubim, which are a picture of heaven. So when the priests would walk in, they would be confronted with the fact that there's both dirt and heaven. There's brokenness and there's heaven. There's a reality of who you are right now that no one can see, but there's also heaven. And the Bible says that you, you right now, you, not you, are seated today with Christ, where? In heavenly places. So that tells me that there is a real you in heaven and a real you on earth. That's a problem. <laughs> and Jesus, sorry, the Father said to Moses, when you build the tabernacle on earth, which is, who are, who's the tabernacle? You are. He says, when you build the tabernacle on earth, see to it that you make it exactly according to the pattern I showed you. So there's a tabernacle in heaven and there's a tabernacle on earth. I suggest to you that there's a you on earth and there's a you in heaven. There's a you that God sees. So when you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, that's not just a figurative speech. God says, there's a you that's in heaven. Because it was a you that existed before you were created. Was there not? Yes. Did not God create you? Did not God have, you know, you just pop in your mother's womb and says, oh, oh, well, there's one. I better create a destiny for that person. Oh, he got me by surprise there. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to go on holiday so quick. <laughs> no, God, God had you in his mind. He created you. And then your parents or whoever it was came together and you were created. Yep. So too that, I don't want to play with your minds, but you exist in heaven and on earth. So the real you in heaven, because you are seated with Christ, is the complete you. Yeah? yeah? yeah. The broken you is not in heaven. You know, all anxious and uptight. That's you, the complete you. God sees you complete in him. He says, see to it that you make on earth what is in heaven. So when the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, he's seen his brokenness, the reality of who he is, but he's seen his perfection and completion in heaven. And God says, I want you to make that person like that person. Are you hearing me? So I say, God, show me who I am in your eyes in heaven so I can build this tabernacle on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we see that prayer in a whole new light. Whatsoever you bind on earth is that which is already forbidden in heaven and bound in heaven. So I see myself in heaven and what God has forbidden to touch me in heaven is forbidden on earth. What is loosed into my personality in heaven is loosed on earth. With that sort of people, he can build his kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Are you hearing this? It begins to change the way you think. So when I come into prayer, I'm saying, God, show me what you see when you see me. And I am amazing. And so are you. See, the problem is that we're, we're conscious of the dirt floor. We don't deny the dirt floor. See, God doesn't say, oh, just cover that dirt floor up, put a bit of tarpaulin down. No, he says, it's a dirt floor. Why? Because we don't deny the junk in our life. We don't go, oh. 
That's religion. Yeah, God, I come in and this is who I am in my brokenness. These are the lies I've been thinking. These are the things that have come against me. David in the Psalms pours his heart out to God. The dirt floor, God. But then he goes to the heavenly places and he reminds himself of the greatness of God and the greatness of God in his life and who he is, the king. So the table of showbread, we feast on that. 12, uh, 12 loaves on the table of showbread, all the same size. And remember I said to you that the wheel is one of the first things that God begins to bring truth to. 12 loaves of bread, all the same size. What is God saying? I want every part of your will. Not just the bit that you want to give, I want the lot. Some of you today are giving God parts of your will, but other parts you want control. I'm a self-made person. I'll make the choices here, God. See, the Bible says in Ezekiel, if you pray to God with an idol in your heart, God will answer you according to the idol. If you've already made up your mind what you want to do, and then you ask God, he will validate, it will seem, exactly what you've prayed. Because you haven't surrendered your will. And true discernment comes when the will is surrendered. You won't hear from God the truth unless you've laid down everything. I delight to do your will, O God. It's written of me. So we say, God, sift my will. And, I, and you can go back and listen to the podcast, a whole session on bringing truth to the will. I am aware, personally, that there's areas of my will that I'm deceived in. I think he's Lord. And he's not. I know that shocks you. But it's the same for you. God, take my will. Why is it? And I don't know if these surveys, because who can trust surveys anymore? I don't know if it's how accurate it is, but I read that 2% of American Christians tithe. 98% of Christians are saying, God, my will be done and not you. I don't trust you as Lord of my life. I reckon I can do a better job running my finances than you. That's just one area. How many Christians trust God with their health, their marriage, whatever it might be? My will is surrendered to you. Bring truth. See, because we think he is Lord of our will until the refinement comes and the crushing. We have to, people say things about us that are unkind and untrue and we want to defend ourselves. We won't surrender our will to his. We won't surrender our will. I can see you all squirming now. We won't surrender our will to each other. See, marriage is not about who gets to choose. Marriage is about the surrender of wills together to come into harmony, to work as a team. Not just the wife surrendering her will, but both of us. Table of showbread, the golden lampstand is where we begin to get a mind upgrade. And one of the things the body of Christ needs is truth in our mind. There are no dimensions on this golden lampstand because there are no limitations in our thinking. The renewed mind becomes the runway for the Spirit of God to operate on it. So I've told you, and I use money as a because everyone can relate to it. If you think that God wants you poor, let me tell you something. It is very unlikely that God is going to speak to you and give you revelation about how to be prosperous. Because your mind has now overpowered your spirit. And God has designed you, your personality, that your soul has the power to choose. God says choose life or death. Your soul has the power to override your spirit. That's why people go to hell or go to heaven. So your soul, your thinking can shut down. The seeds of Mark 4 are sown on the ground, some 30, 60, 100 fold, some the devil snatches because the soil is not ready to receive. The mind says, I don't want you here. Some people don't speak in tongues and are baptized in the spirit and moving the gifts because they believe in their mind that all that ceased after the apostles died. My friend, it's very hard to get breakthrough when you think like that. The kingdom of God is ever increasing. Now, this is the way you need to think. I'm going to say something that I hope it's not controversial, but this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Andrew, 
the New Testament church is not the high watermark of the kingdom. Now, it is in doctrine. So in other words, what I'm saying is there's nothing extra added on. So Paul's revelation of salvation, Romans, his teaching to the church, that, that, is, that is the watermark. It can't, be, it can't be added to. Now, we can discover layers of revelation in that. But the church itself, listen carefully, is not the high watermark of the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom starts as a seed and it's sown like a mustard seed and it grows to be a big plant. How does it begin? Small as a seed. And it grows into a tree. So we look at the New Testament church, we see their struggles, their poverty. We see, by and large, their, their less than desired impact in society at a governmental level. Now, I'm not saying there weren't miracles and things that they excelled in that we could press into. But I'm saying the watermark of the kingdom was birthed in the book of Acts. The problem is the church reads the New Testament and sets it as the watermark. Because there was this in the New Testament church and that, we can't believe for more. Really? Who told you that? And that's the problem with our thinking. We think because the church at Macedonia was full of poverty and unable to, and, and, and they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that and they were restricted. We think that's what we should accept. That's like saying a farmer that sows a seed should never expect fruit and a big tree. So our thinking has to change. That God has designed, as you read Scripture in its context, the Old Testament, church, the Old Testament is a physical picture of what God wants to do in your physical world. The New Testament church, yes, it's, it's more than this, but it's by and large an inward picture of what God wants to do inside you. Revelation, understanding. So I read Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I begin to see God's plan for the church to rule and reign with him in the nations. Why would he say, ask of me and I'll give you the nations, if we had no power to influence the nations? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all nation, Daniel, you could go through them all. David, all nation-changing people. Deborah, Esther. So we read the New Testament and we minimize God in our mind. So as I feast at this golden lampstand, God changes the way I think. Let me just say one more thing. He is giving the church an upgrade on their worthiness level. Are you hearing me? Do you remember the story of the, the man that, was, that ran away from home, from his father, and he comes to his senses and he said, I'm going to go back to my dad and ask him to be, make me like one of the hired servants. I'll say to dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That is a mindset. He came to his senses and he began to perceive this is the way to do life. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me a while ago. The measure of the flow of blessing I live in is governed by the revelation of my worthiness before the Father. Did you hear that? The revelation, sorry, the measure of, of the flow of blessing I live in is governed by the revelation of my worthiness before the Father. The more worthy you are before the Father in your mind, the more the flow of blessing. The more unworthy I feel, the less the blessing flows. You think it's the issues with God or with the government or with your job or with your partner. or The issue is this. If you will grow in your worthiness level, that you understand that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, it will unlock blessing in your world. It's the way you think. Lord, change the way I think. The church has prayed the wrong prayer. Lord, make me just like a hired servant. And we've given away our mandate to disciple nations. Is anyone hearing this? 
This burns in my heart. If God can change the way I think, I can disciple nations. If we think like hired servants, miracle. See, it's a miracle mindset. Praise the Lord, brother. Last week, I was down to my last $10. Now, I'm not mocking people, but I'm talking about mindset. I was down to my last $10 and I got on my knees and prayed. And the Lord came through in the last hour and $10 came in the post. And now I, my children could eat and I want to give the Lord praise. And we all go, oh, my friend. That's called the miracle mindset. Come on over to the abundance of the promised land where there's milk and honey, when it never runs out, where not one of us says, I was down to my last $10, but we say this, praise the Lord. I went down the street and I met somebody who was down to their last $10 and I was able to pull out a hundred and give it to them. And they got a revelation of God and they said, no, I only need 10. I said, have a hundred. Spend the rest on your wife and buy her a new dress. Make it a thousand. It's a mind shift change. No longer the hired servant. See, he put on a new ring, a robe, new shoes. He said, if you come back in my house, you've got to come back on my terms. And you get the lot. It's a mindset. Okay, so the, so the table of showbread, golden lampstand. See, if you just would spend time each day laying on your bed and processing this. Okay, Lord, change the way my will, change my mind, cause me to see how you see. Change my emotions. Come in here. I'm reaching to that person you may be. I tell you what, you will see dramatic transformation in your life. Yeah. Many of us are plagued by unruly emotions. Sad, anxious, uptight, depressed. And we don't know how to control them. And the Bible says that the primary emotions in our life should be love, joy, and peace. Ah. <sighs> Life was meant to be enjoyed. Isn't that exciting? Tell yourself, life was meant to be enjoyed. Okay, so don't wait for your holiday before you get happy. Because it doesn't work. You'll fight on your holiday. So we said we go in the altar of incense, they go to the, the brazen altar, they collect the coals, and they come back to the altar of incense, and they mix it with the incense. And the fragrance fills the holy place. So we get the mind of God concerning Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. We pick that up, we bring it across to our emotions, we mix it all in, and all of a sudden the atmosphere around our world changes. The issue with your emotions is, and we can't go over this, get the podcast, is that you've picked up bad thinking in times of crisis that are lodged inside you that need to be confronted with the truth about what God was to you in that moment. And we mix it in with our emotions and it begins to bring an atmosphere. See, I want to carry around my life an atmosphere, the fragrance of whole emotions, the predominant emotion of my life. There are times for sadness, but the predominant emotion will be joy, gladness and love. And I can't go through all that, but get the podcast because there are strategies to deal with unruly emotions, and there's a way to do that. You do not have to be afflicted with sadness, depression, and anxiety. That is from the pit, and it's because somewhere in your inner world, through crisis, you have taken a hold of a lie that has mixed now with your emotions and formed an atmosphere over your world. And so now people avoid you. Because you carry an atmosphere of sadness, depression. And I, I want to be attractive to the world, don't you? Yeah. I want to be attractive for my spouse. So Hebrew legend says that when we come into the Holy of Holies, so the holy place, that as these three things were done, this is what the legend says. I, I don't know if it's true, but this is what the Jews say. That as it all began to work, there would come a time, a season of alignment, a set time where they would go from the holy place to the holy of holies. And there's no doorway into the holy of holies. You can't walk in. You have to be transported. Wow. They believed that the priest was taken by God and supernaturally brought into the holy of holies. 
So that tells me the more that I develop in my world, in my soul, these things of the mind, the will, and the emotions, the more I set myself up to encounter God in that deep place. Now, the doorway's been opened through the, the cross. We all have access into the Holy of Holies, don't we? Yeah, yeah. But it's one thing to have access. It's another thing to know how to move into that access. And if you're plagued by your mind, your will, and your emotions, you will find that you won't operate in this holy, holy place. Because the devil will just take you out. He knows that. Because in the holy of holies, not only is there a place of intimacy, but it's a place of great authority. So he knows before you get into your authority, he will just play with your mind. He will get someone to say something nasty to you. He will change some system here he will do something there and you're taken out you've got access but you're just not walking into it yeah. you're consumed with yourself your brokenness and you haven't got eyes now to begin to rule and reign with god the holy of holies is an amazing place because in the holy of holies there are cherubim that overshadow the ark of the covenant and the bible says that you and i no other created being we are the ones. This is why Satan fell, I believe. He was jealous because he got, because he was a cherub. He was jealous because God said, I'm going to create a people that are going to have a closer proximity to my heart than any other angelic being. Because they, their job, Satan's job was to cover, but our job is to go in and nestle into his heart. Between the cherub and the Ark of the Covenant is where you are called to live. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain under the shadow of the Almighty. Not, do you hear that? Under the shadow. What was the shadow from? From the wings of the cherub. He says, he who dwells in the secret place. You know that word dwell? It means this. To sit enthroned as royalty. He who takes up that place as the royal child and sits between the cherub and the heart of God, they will dwell in that secret place. And it says, they will abide under the shadow of El Shaddai, the Almighty, the God of the mountain, the God who destroys my enemies. This is the God that we, we're coming very close to his heart. We're invited to come right in, to nestle against his heart and begin to hear his plans for the nations. In the outer court, Jesus is the way. In the holy place, he is the truth. In the holy of holies, he is the life. We begin to breathe like he breathes. Our lives are enmeshed. We begin to co-rule with each other. In the outer court, the focus is on your salvation. In the holy place, the focus is on sonship about thinking right, feeling right, right, choosing right. In the Holy of Holy, the focus is about spiritual dominion. In the outer court, the Holy Spirit in John 16 convicts the world of what? Sin. Why? Because we don't believe in him. So we're confronted with a brazen altar. In the holy place, it says he will convict us of righteousness because we, Jesus goes to the Father and we will see him no more. Listen carefully. This is important. He convicts you of righteousness. What's that about? Because Jesus goes to the Father and we can't see him. There's no physical demonstration of how a son thinks, feels and chooses. So the Holy Spirit is going to come to you and he's going to convict you. He's going to discern with his false and truth. He's going to say, that's not how a son thinks feels and chooses. Are you hearing me? Am I losing anyone? In the Holy of Holies, it says, he will convict of sin, of righteousness, and what? And of judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world is now judged and condemned. So in the Holy of Holies, we begin to reign with Christ in spiritual dominion. We hear the voice of the Father and we begin to execute judgment on the enemy. 
Are you hearing this? This is the purpose of sitting next to the, the heart of God. He begins to speak. See, if you don't understand vengeance on the enemy, the church will remain victims. So our job is to hear the word of the Lord. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And as you read that chapter, he leaves out these words and to execute judgment. And when Jesus reads in Luke 4, his mandate, he never talks about judgment, not once. So we have concluded, the church, that the New Testament age has nothing to do with judgment. My friend, I believe Jesus was saying, that's not my role. I did not come to judge and to make changes to all society. I came to bring in the kingdom. My children, my bride, will execute judgment on my behalf and vengeance. And so where there's injustice in the world, we begin to hear the Father's voice. He says, I want you to speak into that area where there's injustice and bring judgment on the systems of this world. Jesus said, ask and you shall. So what do we ask for? Salvation. Seek and you will, what do we find? Our identity in sonship. Knock and the door will be open. Now, do you see in those three phrases, do you see what happens? Ask and you shall receive. How easy is it to receive? Just ask. How easy is it to get saved? Just ask. It's simple. Seek and you will find. How hard is it now? It's getting a bit harder. I've got to look for something. I've got to find what? My identity. I've actually got to do something. I just can't sit on my backside and listen to a good sermon. Oh, that was great, Pastor Andrew. I've got to go home and I've got to begin to seek God and find out who I am. I can't do that for you. I can lead you to water, but you've got to drink it. So you've got to seek the Lord and all of a sudden change begins to happen. Then we go from seeking to knocking, physical, spiritual dominion, pushing in because Jesus just prayed. Uh, sorry, he's just told a parable about a man who knocks on the door and he says, I need help. I need three loaves of bread for my friend that's coming. And the man says, get lost. I'm in bed with my children. I can't get up. There's no heating. I'm not getting up. It's too cold. Go away. And he keeps knocking. And he says he doesn't get up because he's a friend, but because of his persistence, he gets up. In the Holy of Holies... You begin to exercise spiritual dominion to move what is settled and comfortable in society. Yeah. He's storing his children, his possessions. He says, I'm not getting up. And you just keep knocking at that door. And Jesus is saying, this is a realm where you go from mice to men, from asking to seeking to knocking. See, because you've come through that system. Your soul, your identity is secure so you can handle the delays of the Lord because they are not now issues of your identity. You're not saying, oh God, don't you love me anymore? You know that you're loved by God and now you're stepping into a place of warfare because you've gone through the seasons of transformation and now you're wrestling for the destinies of nations. You're shifting what doesn't want to be moved. You're persistent in prayer. You're beginning to understand that I'm called to exercise spiritual dominion. Are you hearing me? This is what God's teaching in the church. The Babylonian system that you've seen firsthand last week. We are in amazing days. What I am preaching is happening now. It is rotten to the core. Let me tell you something, my friend. It has one purpose. It only functions when God is removed in its entirety, in his entirety. It operates on this premise. Get God out of the system. Don't be fooled. The enemy will not stop with, you think, just a little vote here and we'll stop there. My friend, his purpose in everything that we're about to vote on and discuss is to remove God entirely out of the equation. You cannot negotiate with the enemy. Pharaoh said to Moses, you can go, but leave your cows here. Leave your kids here. He's trying to negotiate. But you know what? His real intention was he was not going to let any of them go. So we enter into this warfare. He wants God out of the equation. We're in the Holy of Holies now. And God's beginning to give us insight into the systems of the world. 
and you, this is the inheritance of the saints. Isaiah says that we can issue judgment on the enemy's plans. This is our inheritance. You know, God, I don't know what's happening. He's saying, well, come up here. Come and hear what I see. Come and, come and, come and speak to me. Spend time in my presence. Get into, close to my heart. I'm, you are the apple of my eye. Come in here. And you are, it's you. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about you. He is calling you, every one of you, to get in close and to hear what he is saying. Let me tell you, give you an example. And I don't want to be political here. But I was praying about Britain. See, this is when you get close to God's heart. What are you saying about Britain? This is what I felt God say. As Britain saved Israel in 1917, with, in the year of Jubilee, as they went in and released the possession of Israel and gave it back to them, so too will I release Britain in this time of Jubilee because they stood with Israel in 1917. So what we see here isn't about the vote of man. Of course it was, but there's something deeper. There is something. God is separating nations, sheep from goats. He is is aligning those with Israel, those against. He's aligning on many different fields. And as we listen to God, we then begin to get a prophetic voice to speak and execute righteousness and judgment. The enemy wants God out of the system. When Daniel came into Babylon... Then changed his name from Daniel to Belteshazzar. Something like that. Do you know that name means the Lord of the... And I have to spell this because I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. The Lord of the Straitens Treasure. Straitens is S-T-R-A-I-T-E-N-E-D. Okay? That word means characterized by poverty, restricted in range and scope. So when Daniel came in, they called him the Lord of the one who is restricted by range and scope and characterized by poverty. That's what they renamed him. You look at the other three, they were all renamed and their names now represented the gods of Babylon. He wants God eradicated from the system. But I've got news for you, and it's all bad, devil. Psalms 2 says, why do the nations rage? The Lord sits in heaven and he laughs. And he's going to use you, my friend, as you seek him in the holy of holies, as you nestle into his heart and listen to his voice, he's going to use you to build businesses. He's going to use you in the government. Me? I'm just sitting at home. He will take you. He will cause you to pray. He will cause you to intercede. He will position you alongside people of influence. Daniel had no idea when he was captured that God was positioning him to be second in charge. He had no idea. But he stepped into that because he listened to the voice three times a day. He would get alongside, possess me. He sang that song that we sang today. Come, possess my body, my spirit, my soul, make me your home. Three times a day he would pray that. Possess me, fill me, speak to me. I nestle into that holy of holies. I listen to you and you're going to show me strategies. And God will do this day after day after day. He will speak to you and show you things to come. The most exciting life is found in the holy of holies where my spirit communes with him. Ask, seek, knock. People are taken out in warfare because they don't know how to ask and seek. And so when the delays and the battles come, their identity is crushed and they're confused and they give up. But we are those that step into the Holy of Holies. We're ushered in. We're brought in and we're here. And I know in my heart that some of you have got the greatest dreams because you've heard from God. Don't let people crush it. Don't let other voices come and say you can't do it. I'm here to say from God you can do it. God's positioning you to change nations. Nations. People of influence. He's going to lift you up. Because the kingdom is ever increasing. Why am I convinced? Because you're here. And the best is reserved to last. See, we are the greater works generation. That means if you're alive and breathing, you're a candidate for God's favor and blessing and increase. He must expect big things. You would have been born in the 1600s. So we pray now, Father, possess us. 
spirit, soul, and body. Let your kingdom come in great power. We decree that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that you are transforming us into the very likeness of your dearest son, whom we love and we honor. And our desire is to be like Jesus, to be a bride equal in stature. We will always be your children. You will always be our father. But we know your deep desire is to make us like you, to rule and reign. You designed it that you would partner with us. And it's what, what an amazing privilege. You are, I hear your heart longing and yearning for people to believe that you want to partner with them. Oh, that my people would see how much I want to be involved in their life and empower them and love them and use them and bless them. So we say, Lord, let your eyes stop on us. We say, we are that people. Come and fill us. Possess us. Change our minds. Increase them. Change our emotions. Let love and joy and peace radiate through our lives. Change our will, Lord, that we would say, I delight to do your will. You are trustworthy. If you say it, Lord, we can trust in you. Your will is safe. It's good. It's perfect. It's pleasant. It's perfect. And come and possess our spirit and, and communicate with us in a deep, deep way. We thank you for the privilege of coming right into that very heartbeat that you have, even under the shadow of the cherubs and beginning to commune with you and love you and hear from you and beginning to exercise power and authority with you. We say thank you for that. Thank you that you would choose us this day. And church, if, if there's anyone here that you've never asked Jesus in your heart, he is the way, and you can do that right now. You just say this. I ask Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you, that you died for my sins. Come and be Lord of my life. Do you know, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And if you've never done that, do that today. Do it today. It doesn't matter how wrong you've been, how much of a mess you've made with your life, no matter how sinful you think you may, His blood covers every sin. And He calls you by name because He loves you. He will never stop loving you. So why don't you ask Him in today? And if you've done that for the first time, come and tell me so I can pray with you and encourage you. And for everyone else today, can I encourage you, step into that journey of transformation.